There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. This week marks the 25th anniversary of the Coen Brothers' Fargo, winning Best Picture by the Broadcast Film Critics Association, now called the Critics' Choice Awards. I spoke with actor John Carroll Lynch about playing Norm, the husband of Frances McDormand's pregnant cop Marge, as well as his memories of David Fincher's Zodiac when he came to D.C. to promote his 2017 directorial debut, Lucky. John Carroll Lynch, how you doing? Pretty good. It's an honor to have you in here. Are you kidding me? We've been watching and loving your movies for years. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. But uh, today we are here to talk about your directorial debut, Lucky. We booked this interview. You made the movie, having no idea that this would be uh, that the tragic news we would hear. Yeah. Harry Dean Harry, Stanton passed away yeah, last Harry Friday. Harry Dean uh, died on last Friday. But man, knowing knowing now that that he's gone, it's just he's frozen in time on screen, and you'll you'll get goosebumps. So what what's your reaction uh, to, well, to how it's recontextualized? I, I, I haven't seen the movie uh, since he died, so yeah. uh, it'll be interesting to see it. Uh, it certainly changes uh, the the um, context of the film. Uh, it doesn't change the meaning of the film or the warmth or the humor or anything else about it. It's right. really a movie about living. Uh, and uh, Harry Dean is such a uh, such a captivating actor and such a great human figure. You know, he was always complicated, and his characters are always complicated. And I, this one's a beautiful performance, and one that uh, uh, fittingly, uh, you know, fittingly ends his career. Yeah, um, we'll go way more into his lucky role in a second. But when, while I'm thinking of Harry Dean Stanton, do you have a favorite role over the years? Is it Repo well, Man? I mean, uh, cool it's been interesting God. to see all of the you know the uh, outpourings of love for him and his work over the course of his 60 year career. So, um, uh, for me, it, you know, as an actor, the the straight story, which is a, a five minute piece that he does, to uh, to see an actor. Um, reenact an entire film um watching you know he comes out of his out of his uh house and his brother's there he's had a vendetta with his brother for years and he sees his brother for the first time he's been ill uh harry dean's character had and and he looks over and sees this lawnmower that uh, his brother has ridden all the way to his house and you watch um harry dean uh just reenact the whole trip mm-hmm. that you've just watched for an hour and a half. <laughs> right. And he does it all without saying a word. Yeah. And, uh, uh, it's all in his eyes. It's a, it's a, it's a clinic of, of film acting. Absolutely. Before we dive, I guess, too far into character theme and all that, um, give it, give our listeners the basic premise, you know, of a, who, well, the uh, log the, line sort of the, deal. The movie is the nine, uh, the spiritual journey of a 90 year old atheist. He's a cantankerous, 
self-reliant man who lives on the edge of this Arizona town and uh, in between the town and the desert. And he uh, lived there for years, has his routines, you know, knows everybody, but thinks of himself kind of like the sheriff of this little town, de facto mayor. And he uh, he uh, goes to his diner, he uh, watches his game shows, does his crossword puzzles, goes to his bar, and that's his life. And then one morning he's uh, making his coffee and he falls down in his kitchen. And uh, from there uh, he gets he goes to his doctor and then he starts wondering about how much time he has left that he may not have, you know, um, years and decades left. He may just have months and weeks. Yeah. And, uh, and it really messes with him, you know. Yeah. Uh, but he comes to a realization of how to live in the shadow of death, uh, and it's it's something that's worth the the trip, and the supporting cast is so terrific, and the screenplay is so great, and so just a really beautiful movie. I'm very proud of it. I, I love the way you put that, living in the shadow of death, but it's about life. In it's that, about like living. That, that's what was great about it. Yeah, and also, uh, it's really actually how I'm living, right. how everybody is. Right. The illusion that we live under is that we are not living under it. Somebody who's 89 years old, of course, is living in the shadow of death, but right. I'm not because I'm not there. But technically we all are. Well, uh, We're yeah. just a blink of an yeah, eye. I, yeah. You know, it's funny. It's, it's, it's like you know, my own mortality is like a, a, a muscle that's uh, like a sore muscle. Like you try to rub it out and it just slips away from you. It's in your periphery, but it's, it's hard to keep in focus. Yeah. And, um, and it's particularly hard, I think, because it's so frightening. But this movie demystifies all of it. You know, he's he's such a he's such a a seeker uh, yeah. is is lucky in the movie, and and he really comes to some place yeah. about it that that is actually doable. You know, it's actually doable, which yeah. I which is what I love about it. To that point, I mean, you just said that it's something that a lot of people fret and fear over, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a line in the movie. He, they say, well, it's it, I can't remember the exact line, but there's only darkness. And then they say, what do we take away from that? And he's like, you just smile. You yeah. smile at that. One of my favorite lines in the movie is there's this exchange with this uh, lawyer in the movie played by Ron Livingston. And Ron says uh, he's he's advising David Lynch's character, Howard, about wills and stuff like that. Who loves his tortoise. Yeah, he loves his tortoise. tortoise. <laughs> yeah, he loves his tortoise. And uh, he says, well, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, we're just planning for the unexpected. Yeah. And Lucky says, what's unexpected? Yeah. And it, it's, it, and it's takes, uh, take, takes Bobby Ron's character aback. He's like, uh, 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 you know, like <laughs> you can't say death because of course death is expected. Right. And that's, that's Lucky's point is what's unexpected about dying. We're all going to do it. Right. Right. Is there something in there in in his name too? That the fact that it's that it's lucky is that are you are you also playing with fate versus luck in that? I, I as think well, it's I, it's definitely metaphorical, yeah. and and he is described as lucky both in terms of you know he gets his he gets his nickname uh, from his time in the navy in yeah. World War II. He fought in World War II. Did our did our both our our lead actor and the character because so much of the movie is based. Uh, on his life, it's almost inspired by him. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's how the movie was born. But um, now, when he's uh, eighty nine, he's described as lucky again by his doctor. Yeah, and right. he's he also, says, in fact, most people I'd say stop smoking, but you keep you smoking. just keep smoking. <laughs> yeah, I, and uh, lucky is uh, lucky's. Uh, we are playing on the word lucky. You know, he is. Yeah. He's. You know, yeah. anybody who gets to be eighty nine years old in good health is ridiculously lucky uh, most of us don't get there and uh, and uh, his his vitality yeah. as a human being 
which we see alongside, literally in the same body as his fragility, is so um, resonant and so uh, so beautiful. Also, it's so funny. I mean, it's a funny movie. Some of the yeah. quips he has at people are hilarious. Yeah, he's a, he's got a wit. <laughs> Talk about, um, you mentioned the crosswords a few seconds ago, mm-hmm. but I thought that was actually a really smart, brilliant way to kind of weave in the exposition of the theme. You know, there's a lot of movies that feels heavy-handed, you know, and yeah. this is your theme. But you're, you're able through that to get him to, like, say, the definition of realism to, like, three different people, but it, it's totally plausible with the A story, you know what I mean? It's absolutely so, true. Talk I about... Mean, realism... Uh, is what we're playing with in the movie. Uh, you know, when you're when you've done as much work as I have as an actor and as a storyteller, uh, the the uh, the genres, the forms of storytelling, be they you know farce or uh, comedy or uh, they all have different styles. And realism is one of them. Naturalism, realism, surrealism, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Brechtian, ex, you know, all the all the kinds of ways in which you dice it up and make it uh, and make it a, a something that an audience can can grab a hold of realism is what we're playing with but it's it's real but it's not real at the same time so mm-hmm. it's so great in the screenplay that uh we start with a such a bold definition right. of of what we're talking about and what's real to you is not my real not as well. my That's real what he says, and yeah. uh harry dean as a as an actor just insists, uh, uh, you know, he, he throughout his career, he brought with him to every scene, every yeah. moment, such a naturalism, such a sense of real yeah. uh, that he just wouldn't go past. He just yeah. he insisted that it all feel that way. Yeah. So uh, you meant you've you, obviously you've had a. Uh, you related to him on an actor level, but because you've done so many roles. But in terms of you being, let's pivot a little into this is your directorial debut yeah. and going into that realm. Do you? Do you throw on Paris, Texas and get a feel for how he's going to look in those sort of desert scapes? Or do you, uh, you know, what's sort of the preparation? Well, for- um, I certainly, I watched Paris, Texas. I watched, uh, I, I watched uh, um, Last Picture Show. Uh, God, there was a, a lot movie. of, there's yeah. a lot of movies that were kind of inspiring on our list, you know. Like the Ben Johnson uh, kind of old, yeah, old exactly, character. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And also that, the yeah. feeling of the fraying of this town. Sure. You know, that, what's left of it. The and, decaying. Yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah. also I, I, I watched... Um, uh, some Jim Jarmusch and and some other uh, uh, directors that were kind of in the wheelhouse of this movie, like uh, and David David Lynch yeah. obviously yeah, uh, Dead Man, but also uh, Mystery Train and because mm-hmm. there's so much vivid color in the sure, Mystery yeah. Train, so um, uh, those things were obviously uh, you know part of the preparation, but the 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 also the preparation was beautifully in intense discussions not only with. Uh, with Harry Dean, but also with um, the writers and the producers and yeah. uh, my collaborators like the director of photography, Tim Shurstead, and Almitra yeah. Corey, the, uh, the production designer, Lisa Norcia, the costume designer. Yeah. Those are conversations that as an actor you don't get to have. Right. And suddenly I'm having them and I'm just loving everything. Like to to be uh, to have a meeting where you get to choose the phone, you know, like you have <laughs> six phones. And even at a budget level of ours, you know, where she's scrounging in, you know, yeah. old prop prop shops and right. uh, and in well uh, it's a red landline is that what it's it a, is it's or a, is it a it's a it's a kind of a burnt orange burnt 1970s orange. uh <laughs> 1970s push button phone like i remember right. them so distinctly when yeah. i first 
uh, saw those phones, you would pick it up, and there wouldn't be a dot. There wouldn't be a tone. Oh, you You'd to, hear the yeah. clicks of the rotary. It would still count out the clicks, <laughs> but uh, uh, but then they became. We we use it as a uh, as a dial tone, as a beeping yeah. phone. You know, as a yeah. tone phone. But the other thing is, uh, you know, back to Harry Dean's work. You know, he wanted everything to feel real so much so that there were times we had to talk him out of uh, things like. Uh, you know, he really wanted to smoke pot in the movie. Like, he's like, what if we just smoke pot? And it's like, that's, we got a long day ahead of us. We got a lot to do today. I don't know that that's the best choice in yeah. terms of a work ethic. Yeah. But, um, uh, and also, you know, he, he wanted to have uh, real alcohol in the, in his drinks, and we we managed that yeah. as well. Although there was there was tequila in his drinks, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't nearly as much as he thought there was. I think, yeah. But we we uh, you know when you have somebody who insists on that level of truth, um, it brings everybody into that same realm. He he establishes the the palette of acting for everybody else in the piece, and uh, and uh, I've 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 had the good fortune of working with actors like that before as an actor, and it always brings you down to a really, really beautiful place of listening and responding. And he never seems to be acting at all, never ever seems to be acting. You can never catch yeah. him at it. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad you let him uh, sing a little in the movie, too, because I, that was one of my, when he, uh, when he sings that, what is it? Um, Volver, Volver. Well, I was thinking Near God to Thee in Cool and Luke. Oh, Remember? yeah, yeah. When, yeah, Luke, yeah when Paul Newman visits Such a tomorrow. closer walk with thee. Yeah, closer walk with thee, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then, of course, we get Plastic Jesus afterwards, which is the counterbalance. Yeah, exactly. But um, you got director's chops, sir, because uh, the scene when he passes out, when he's watching the flashing 12, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love how you you get the red flashing on his face. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I thought that was really cool. And then later when he, I guess he wakes up in a a dream sequence but yes. he's kind of going towards like a it looks almost like a, a rave or something yes you know, that's he, right it's like a, it's, like, again, a, it's so, like a it's like a basement yeah. a basement uh are you playing uh, with the red is, there, is that is that absolutely like, is there we a were. symbolic like you're that, well, i mean that i think that in stuff. the movie there's a there's a sense that those the, those things that are red represent a kind of um uh uh, uh mortality a kind of spiritual checkout yeah you know there's you know the the clock, the phone, and the red alley are all moments where mortality uh, uh, is present for him in a way that's not extraordinarily comfortable, mm -hmm. and uh, that frightened him. Yeah. And uh, and the way in which uh, the story works is it gets you're inside his head the whole movie. You know you're inside his heart really, yeah. and so you have to follow it from that point of view. It's not a logical story in the sense of of uh, I, I I always. I always worry about too much logic in movies because we don't behave logically, <laughs> but we do behave uh, uh, intuitive with intuitive logic. Mm -hmm. And there are things that we do that make us feel better that don't make any sense except that they make us feel better. Like, uh, like he kicks a can in the movie to try to make himself feel better. That kind of thing where it makes sense to us emotionally. It's not logical, but it's emotionally accurate. Right, exactly. Well, I think part of the reason you were able to get such a great—is uh, it his final role, or is there one, a couple others in the can? Um, no, as far as I know, Last this one, was it. I think, yeah. yeah. The reason I think you were able to get such a great um, final performance from him is because you, sir, are, are one of the best going as well today Thank you. On, on the other side of the camera. Thank so, you. and speaking of that, I just wanted to, to say, nice watch. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone yeah. remembers Zodiac, the, yeah. the Zodiac. Yeah, exactly. One. Yeah, yeah. Can I see it? Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was great. Fincher was great in that. Oh yeah, he did a great job in that. That foursome, we we uh, uh, Elias Cateus, Anthony Edwards, Mark Ruffalo, and I had one of the best days on set I've ever had. Yeah.
Well, we just interviewed Jake Gyllenhaal the oh, other, wow, like cool. yesterday for oh, wow. uh, his stronger, for stronger movie. Yeah, so he I, looks fantastic in that. Me, uh, uh, memories of that final scene when he walks in and you're staring at him because well, your face shifts. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, can I help you? And then it's, oh, ooh. And then it's like, a, a, so much goes on there yeah. without saying anything. I had worked with Jake first as his father in Bubble Boy, and then I played uh, his tormenting, uh, <laughs> his tormenting, small-minded boss in. Uh, and Jack Field, your store manager, and the good girl. And this was the third time we worked together yeah. in this movie. So when we were doing that scene, um, Graysmith so desperately needs to know. I mean, it's like, I mean, the scene is written like the end of Moby Dick where uh, Ahab is tied to the whale. And uh, in in uh, in the book, uh, Melville writes, and uh, the whale looks at Ahab and Ahab looks at the whale. And that's kind of how I saw this, saw the, they recognize each other right. in that moment. So... That's at least what I went in with. But we were doing that scene, and in a break, um, Jake said, uh, you are now the official weirdest conglomeration of characters, I think, that I've played with. You've played my father. <laughs> you've played my boss, and now you've played my whale. This is, uh, yeah, that's a pretty wide swath. I love that you view that as the whale. That's yeah, great. and Chris, uh, the other person you mentioned was Chris Cooper, who he'd worked yeah. with for like four times, so... It, it, oh, it's true. nice to come back to work yeah. with people again, and and yeah. Jake's work right now is uh, he's he's really doing inspiring work. Night uh, Nightcrawler and oh yeah, uh, so, you know yep. he's really pushing the envelope, yep. and it's exciting to see. Absolutely. Before we get back, wrap it around full circle to Lucky. My listeners would hate me if I don't ask you about Fargo because we love Norm. Thank you. Norm is the most lovable character. Thank in, you. And I just love. I mean, talk about how the Coens in their script, but also you and Francis as Marge, uh, as you know, pregnant. Cop. Yeah, Marge and Norm. Yeah, yeah, Marge and Norm. You're doing the the scent stamps, the duck yeah, stamp, the, the mallards. Yeah. <laughs> well, those. Uh, that uh, uh, that was in the script. Obviously, the the duck stamps were in the script, and um, the Coens grew up in St. Louis Park, and across the street from them were these three brothers, the Houtmans, and the Houtmans uh, actually all were wildlife artists. They grew up to be wildlife artists. It's kind of interesting that there were filmmakers on one side and painters on the other mm -hmm. in this little uh, uh, suburb of Minneapolis. Anyway, uh, the uh, the Houtmans are mentioned in the script. And uh, uh, I was uh, I asked if I could go meet somebody who did this, and they set up an appointment with the youngest of the three Hauptmann brothers. And uh, the other two had won the duck stamp contest. He had yet to win the <laughs> national duck stamp contest. They, they're duck stamp contests in every state in the union, but they're not they're not postage stamps. They're wildlife refuge stamps. Okay. If you want to go and l go bird watching or duck hunting, you have to buy a stamp to get onto the property. It's okay. a yearly thing you have to buy. It's a permit, essentially. Right, right. And in the federal government, they have a, a contest every year that they describe a scene. They give you the size of the, uh, the, size of the uh, canvas and what kind of duck you have to have whether it's male or female, whether it's nesting aloft, what season they want, mm -hmm. and everybody paints it like a winter blue wing teal mm -hmm. aloft in a winter, you know, in a winter scene, and then everybody paints that scene. And they have celebrity judges who come to DC, and everybody sends it in, and they have they open the gallery. I think I don't know where it is, but I think it's probably at the at the Department of Interior, and and because that's who makes the stamps. And then they go through and they choose one. <laughs> and it is absolutely, utterly, and completely just honor. Oh, wow. You get no money from it. You give the federal government the license to print the stamp from your, yeah. from your print. However, there is a subculture of 
thousands of people who buy copies of that print, and they buy one every year of the National Duck Stamp Contest winner. Wow. So the Houtmans, uh, <laughs> the two Houtmans brothers that had won, he is now, this, the guy I talked to has yeah. now won uh, two. This was years ago, obviously. I'm sure they've won multiple times since Because then. he talked to you. I'm sure that's why That's likely. <laughs> likely it's because I, made, I yeah. made this guy who had been chasing it his entire life, I finally clarified what was wrong. <laughs> Um, no, he, um, uh, each of the, his other brothers had made a million dollars from that, from that God. contest winning. Yeah. Cause the, 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 they get a, they get a license, they get a royalty for each print that's sold. Yeah. So it's worth a million dollars at the time when we did the movie, it was worth a million. Wow. So can't you see there's more to life than a little money though? Yeah. Yeah. But they're getting it honestly though. Yeah, they are. They're just yeah, sit yeah. and they sit in duck blinds in every they sit in blinds all over the country for weeks on end yeah. taking pictures of yeah. ducks and then bringing them home and then painting yeah. scenes from them awesome. but the other thing was when i came back to the cohens and said you know it's not a I, just to let you know i don't i i don't want you to change a thing but it's not a postage stamp there is no second place i don't want to change a thing it's perfect the way it is yeah. but you're going to get letters there's going to be people who's <laughs> going to go look you're getting this wrong, yeah. and it's upsetting to me because they're so passionate about it. But see, your background knowledge is what what layered that texture under that character. Well, I mean, that's I the idea it. of what you're supposed yeah. to do, yeah. obviously, with, yeah. with, with acting, is you're supposed yeah. to deepen your understanding yeah. of the world that you're living in. And... Uh, that's part of what yeah. uh, what was uh, yeah. what drew me to, yeah. uh, to get deeper and deeper into storytelling and yeah. and try to uh, direct because mm-hmm. you get to be free of the instrument of your mm-hmm. own body and be able mm-hmm. to. It's like it's like when uh, somebody who's in a in a band gets to gets to arrange. You right. know, they finally get to think about if they're a drummer, how sure. does the how do, how does the sax fit in? You know, so it's that kind of thing that you get to do. And this was a great opportunity because the script yeah. was so strong and obviously. Harry Dean and the rest of the cast were so uh, yeah. incredible to work with. Well, I can, I can almost see a little bit of that. Um, the way you kind of hold your camera back and sort of patiently watch, sort of like, I call it like fate watching everybody. Mm-hmm. I can see the mental connection almost for you into, you know, the Prowler needs the jump scene, for instance. Sure, the, sure. The Coens hold the camera in the kitchen. Without you're you're in there doing the gender doubt, swap, that. making yeah, the yeah. breakfast and Marge is outside. No, they're, they're, but that's kind of like yeah. what you do in this as well. Roger Deacon's... Uh, Frames are so strong for yeah. them, and they are, they insist they they really the, the control of the camera and the control of the yeah. storytelling is so strong. But um, but it is true in this particular movie, and this is not this is just a difference in terms of the way the movies are sure. written and stuff. Th- this movie um, it was important for I talked to Tim a lot about. I I, I want to feel like I'm in the room with him. I want to feel like I'm sitting across the couch from him you know i want to be i want to be in a diner booth with him yeah. i don't want to be separated from i don't want him i don't want to be sitting coldly watching him from another room or right. or, or vicariously mm-hmm. and and also after the fall in the movie we we become it becomes much more point of view it becomes much right. more intimate and that was kind of the the uh the visual vocabulary we uh we began with you know right. and and when when you get to tell, when you get to use the camera like that, it becomes. Uh, it, we don't want it to. And every time we did the edit, the simpler we did it, the better the movie became because the movie really wanted to be uh, to leave the performances whole mm-hmm. and not mess with them. And right. and uh, that uh, that's great. There are other movies. I mean, as an example, Hudsucker Proxy. Uh, that movie doesn't work without that kind of 
really aggressive, right. or raising Arizona, that right. Barry Sonnenfeld, I think, was the, the DP on that. And he has such an aggressive visual style for the movie. The movie doesn't work without it. I mean, you've got to have those right. big, you know, you know, uh, pans in mm-hmm. and those the swooping camera. You've got to have a sense of of almost cartoon right. because it's such a heightened reality. It's case by case basis. It, no, yeah. it's you, it, yeah. what is the story you're telling? Mm-hmm. How do you want to tell it? And how is it going to be most effective? And where do you want the audience to sit in it? Yeah. So, um, you know, sometimes you want to be out of the room. Sometimes you want to be in. Sometimes you want to be able to go in and out on a character. This this one, this one you didn't need that much. And every time I had impulsively made that decision, I ended up trying to figure out a way to cut it. <laughs> nice. Let's see. I love I love talking because you know the cinematic language here. You're, well, to we're some degree, about, you know, I'm learning. Yeah, 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 yeah I'm learning it all. Yeah. I'm learning it all more. More. Uh, I mean, I had a, I had an intellectual understanding of this stuff, but sure. then to to be able to have an opportunity to really delve practical, into yeah. it and become practical, and then hopefully at some point. Uh, uh, if I get an opportunity to do it more and more, I'll get to forget about the practical and go yeah. back to an intuitive yeah. relationship with the, with the medium. Speaking of doing it more and more, do you have anything else uh, cooking in that brain of yours? Right now, well, we're... Uh, I know we're promoting Lucky now. Yeah, we're but... promoting Lucky, but right now um, the, the process is... Uh, I, I, I read in Robert Altman interview once that he said, you know, producing movies is kind of like cooking. you got to keep things on the stove. You got to stir them a lot, and then one of them will boil, and that'll be the one you do. <laughs> Lots of back burners. Exactly. And you you got to keep. That yeah, and you know, <laughs> one of one of uh, Harry Dean's phrases, which he said a lot in his life, and also when when he wasn't sure he wanted to do something, he would go, "Well, let's just let's just keep that on the burner." And uh, that's a great analogy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that's a Robert Altman too, and a Harry Dean Stanton. Now, apparently, they. That's uh, great. I imagine they had known each other over time yeah oh that's great well before we go um a lot of our listeners want to know the local angle here you know uh catholic university yeah memories of your time there yeah i came to catholic in 1981 i graduated in 86 i took a year off to go on national players tour which was a tour that ran out of catholic i i don't know if it even exists anymore it was a repertory company that you travel all around the country and do shakespeare for high schools and colleges and uh um I learned. I, I got my BFA in acting there. I started the process of learning how to act there, and more importantly for me, I also got a, a, a rounded liberal arts education. So I was able to, uh, you know, um, study poetry and study English and study music and study, um, you know, computer science and Cooking philosophy, history, religion, <laughs> exactly. But also things that you that come into play when you're actually thinking about the work, yeah. because the. The doing of it is so important, obviously, getting sure. good at it. But then there's the why am I doing it and right. what am I doing it for? Like, how do I, what do I want to actually say? Right. And uh, that's this This movie was, when when I was offered this movie to direct, it was a no-brainer for me because I, I, I wanted to talk about the idea of how do I live knowing, uh, how do I live well uh, with my death in mind? Yeah. You know, I know it sounds kind of stark and... Everything, but it's not. It's 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 a really great. Pra- Again, I I go to the practical things. It's a very practical question. Absolutely, which is why I think our our listeners are going to enjoy grappling with that very question because it, it's 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 a question we all face. So yeah. thank you for for handling it with such you know delicacy and grace and uh, and beauty at times in the movie it's, too. Yeah, you know? it's so, a it's a yeah, and it's very they're very funny people. It's a warm movie. It's a comedy, yeah. really. Frankly, yeah. I mean, if I were going to say what the genre is, it's yeah. a comedy. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, in closing, sort of bring it back to how we kind of started the interview. The the fact that, you know, you made this movie, it, it spoke to you so much, it spoke to Harry Dean so much. 
and now knowing that it's it's his last one, I mean, do you think that will give the film even more poignancy and even legs? There's not a world that I'll know uh, what it would have been like for um, for us to open the movie and to have a, a premiere in Los Angeles where all of Harry's friends get to come and see him perform this role with him in the audience and the kind of, I can only imagine the kind of um, raucous and sustained uh, adoration that would have provided for him because his work is so extraordinary in the film. We'll never get to know what that would have felt like. Uh, I do know that um, I, I do know that I personally was very fortunate to have an opportunity to work with him and to uh, tell a story that only he could tell. Yeah, but he did get to see a cut, right? No, he never, oh, he never, never got to see oh, the wow. full thing. Never got to see the full thing. He saw pieces of it. He saw the trailer. We kept on waiting for an opportunity for a big screen. Right. Uh, you know, he he. You know, he's a big screen guy, and yeah. uh, uh, and we wanted him to see it. He wanted to see it on a. Yeah. On a big screen and not on an iPad. Yeah. And uh, so... But he got to live it, man. Those well, I mean, memories, you know, he you got know? to live it. And uh, and also, I, knowing Harry Dean, he wouldn't have cared anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's the perfect place to leave it. John Carroll Lynch, thank you so much for joining us. It was thank an you. honor talking to you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.